Hey, everybody, you're listening to A New Beginning, which is a podcast made possible by Harvest Partners. If this program has impacted you, I'd love to hear from you. So just send an email to me at greg at harvest.org. Again, it's greg at harvest.org. You can learn more about becoming a Harvest Partner by going to harvest.org. We're essentially walking, talking billboards for what Christians look like. Coming up today on A New Beginning... Pastor Greg Laurie says we each have an important choice to make. Some people bring joy wherever they go. Some people bring joy whenever they go. Which person are you? Are you the person that lights up the room or turns off the lights? Are you the person that brings everything down? Or are you the person that builds others up? Disagreement and conflict is almost inevitable in human relationships. When that happens, some people put up their fists, others call up their lawyer. Others look up the proverb that says a soft answer turns away wrath. In the big picture, those moments can either undergird our efforts to share Christ or undermine them. Today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie helps us deal with everyone in a spirit of grace and humility. We're in Acts chapter 15. So I heard about three biker dudes that pulled up to a roadside cafe one day and they walked in and here's a a smallish man sitting on a stool having a meal. And they looked at this guy, started laughing, hassling him. One of them took his meal away from him. Another pushed him off his stool. And the man uh, just went over and paid for his bill, quietly walked out, got into his semi He's a trucker, okay? And one of the bikers says to the waitress, he's not much of a man, is he? She said, well, I guess not. She's looking out the window and watching the trucker drive away. She says, I guess he's not much of a trucker either because he just ran over three Harleys. (laughs) Maybe that's not the best way to resolve conflict. But we all deal with conflict each and every day, right? There's just no way around it. I don't know how you were raised, but in my home, as you know, uh, there was a lot of domestic violence. My mom would get drunk and get in fights with her husbands and her boyfriends. And, and I don't just mean yelling. I mean throwing things, hitting. I would sometimes get up in the morning. Things were smashed all over the floor, dents in the wall. It, it was horrible environment to be brought up in. And I think it's a, at a very early age, as a little boy, I, I sort of developed a, a desire to be a peacemaker. I, I wanted to resolve conflict. I didn't want to see people fighting and have conflict. Another thing I sort of retreated into was my own little world of art and cartoons where I could kind of have another place to live instead of the crazy world I was living in. And I developed this rather warped sense of humor. My observations, because you think, well, Greg, sometimes you're very sarcastic and and your humor's a little odd. You don't know what I hold back. (laughs) You don't know what comes into my mind. I have five things that go, veto, 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 veto. I'll let that one through. That's how it works, okay? 
And that, even that is a defense mechanism uh, that I developed. But I bring all of this up because I became a Christian. And I thought, okay now, no more conflict. No, no more disagreements. We're all gonna just get together and sing kumbaya in perpetuity. <laughs> well I came to discover that is not the case. Because conflicts and arguments will happen. Even among Christians. You know there are some people that create conflict unnecessarily. Conflict follows them wherever they go. It's always some kind of drama, right? You invite them over, there's gonna be something that happens. And sometimes you don't want to invite those people over. Because in a way they're kind of like troublemakers. I, I make up imaginary characters, Bobby Buzzkill, Debbie Downer. I'm gonna add a new one to that. Bobby Buzzkill, Debbie Downer, and Tina Troll. Oh yeah. Oh yes. And sorry to make her female, but uh, this is the person that always counterpoints everything, even when you don't need to. And I find most of the trolls, though they're on Instagram and Facebook, many of these trolls are on Twitter, right? So you, you'll post a picture with some friends, had a great meal tonight. And the troll will come back and say, it must be nice to eat when people around the world are starving. Yeah, it is, and I'm sorry about that, but it was a nice meal. Or, uh, oh, here's a picture with my family. And then the troll comes back and says, not everyone has a family. Try to be more sensitive, do better. Oh, brother, really? And then you do another post, oh, uh, you know, beautiful photo of a sunset, check it out. And they come now with Bible verses. First John 2, 15 says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. You know, really? That's so out of context. You post a picture. Hey, I had a great laugh with some people. Oh, you know, let your laughter be turned to sorrow and your joy into mourning. Well, they, these are verses in the Bible, but people are misusing them. And there are some people that use the Bible to beat people down rather than build them up. And there are people out there that will mistreat you, they'll slander you, they'll hurt you. So what do we do with these people? Well, one thing you can do on social media is block them. <laughs> and I love to block people. I love it. Now if you say something I don't agree with, I might delete your comment. But if you attack, I'll block you. And I wish I could do it in real life. Of course you can't do that. So we're gonna have to learn how to resolve conflict. Let me add these words, to the best of our ability. The Bible says, as much as it is possible, live at peace with all men. Aren't you glad the Bible says, as much as it's possible? Because with some people, you can't live at peace with them. But at least you want to make the effort. So let's explore that together, because that's the subject before us in Acts 15, conflict. Uh, the book of Acts, as I told you at the outset, is a very honest look at church history. If, uh, if one of the people in the story does something wonderful, it's recorded. If they mess up, that too is recorded. We see the heroes of the Bible in Acts and all the books of Scripture, warts and all. Uh, the great British legend, Oliver Cromwell, wanted to have his portrait painted. And this particular painter was known for removing any blemishes and making the painting look better than the person looked in real life. So Cromwell instructed the painter, go ahead and paint me warts and all. And the painter did. And in the Bible we have the heroes, 
warts and all. We see them as they really are. So what is the backdrop of this story? We have some troublemakers that have entered this scene. They're believers in Jesus. They're Jewish and they have a Jewish background and they felt that one had to be circumcised before they could become a Christian. This is basically a rite of the Jewish religion. It was never required of anyone but a Jew, but they're saying you have to be circumcised. So number one, this hurts. If you don't know what I'm talking about, talk to your parents or someone else or <laughs> we'll explain it. Circumcision hurts. Number two, they were placing an unnecessary barrier on these new believers. So Paul and Barnabas are now a missionary team and they're not happy about it. Remember I told you Barnabas, his name means encouragement or the son of encouragement. It wasn't his given name, it was effectively his nickname. He was literally Mr. Encouragement. So if Mr. Encouragement wasn't encouraged, something was wrong. There was a saying in that day that went along the lines of if Barney isn't happy, ain't nobody happy. Now that wasn't really a saying, but, but there is a saying if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? Barnabas was not pleased with this. Paul was not pleased with this. And they thought we need to go back to the leaders in Jerusalem and get this resolved. So now they're gonna make the journey back to Jerusalem because these Judaizers, these legalists were saying, James authorized what we're saying. And as it turns out, James had not authorized it at all. So they were not being truthful. So they wanted to go and get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Now James is the brother of Jesus. We could say half-brother because obviously Jesus was supernaturally conceived in the womb of Mary, but James was a son of Mary and Joseph. He grew up with Jesus. And by the way, if you grew up with Jesus, that'd be hard not to drop that into every conversation. You know, you know, I remember when Jesus and I were just boys, this happened. Or I remember Mary, our mother, made us dinner the other day. And what a meal it was, you know. It, but he didn't do that. He didn't play the I'm the brother of Jesus card. But he was a man known for his great wisdom. And he pretty much was the leader of the church at this point, along with Peter. And so they need to go and speak with James now and get his input because of these legalists. And you know, there are people like this that we know, and you can probably think of them, and I don't know if the people who are these people know they're these people. But uh, let me just give you a clue. If no one ever wants to hang around you, you might be one of these people. Consider it this way. Some people bring joy wherever they go. Some people bring joy whenever they go. <laughs> Which person are you? Are you the person that lights up the room or turns off the lights? Are you the person that brings everything down or are you the person that builds others up? Pastor Greg Laurie will have the second half of his message in just a moment. It's a joy to hear when these studies have truly impacted lives. Hi, Pastor Greg. My wife and I listen to you on the radio daily and love your teaching. We also watch most of the movies you've produced, including Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. We grew up with Johnny Cash, and this movie made us cry. We also love the movies A Rush of Hope and Jesus Revolution. As we share this message with you, we're still grieving the loss of our grandson, 
who was killed in a hit-and-run accident. Please keep up the great teaching, as we are so thankful for everything you do. We appreciate hearing how these daily studies are impacting lives, even through painful situations. Would you consider sharing your story? If so, call us and let us know. Call 1-866-871-1144. That's a special number, 866-871-1144. From our study of Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15, Pastor Greg is pointing out how to show grace and mercy in dealing with others, especially in moments of conflict. So they go back to Jerusalem, and this is what happened as they meet with the apostles starting in verse four, Acts chapter 15. Let's read it together. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. And they repeated everything that God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted that Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. The apostles gave a ruling. So basically they said, okay, we're not gonna require circumcision. And all the Gentiles collectively said, But now they go on to give a ruling, uh, verse 19. So my judgment is, and this is James speaking, My judgment is we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols and sexual immorality and from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. We'll stop there. So one of these conclusions dealt with morality. The other two dealt with sensitivity. Let's start with the no-brainer. The one that dealt with morality. Tell these Gentile believers who've come to Christ, the following. They should not commit fornication. That's what the King James Bible says. New Living Translation, they should not engage in sexual immorality. This comes from a single root word, pornea. We translate this word today to pornographic, pornography, etc. And it is a word that speaks of all sexual activity outside of God's proper order. And what is that? The only place where sexual uh, activity can take place legitimately in the eyes of God is between a man and a woman in a marriage relationship, period. Right, that's it. There are no exceptions. Extramarital sex is forbidden in scripture. Premarital sex is forbidden in scripture. People say, I want to know the will of God. God says very clearly in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, here's God's will. Be holy and stay away from all sexual sin. So I don't, I don't know what's happening in your life and if you've wondered about this, but this is clearly taught in Scripture. But now we come to an issue of sensitivity where they say, tell them to not eat food that was offered to idols. Now, this is hard for us to understand today, so let me give you a little history. Uh, Back in this day, there were pagan temples everywhere. Uh, Temples built for all these gods that the people worshiped. These are the Gentiles. And they would offer meat or animal sacrifices to these idols. So you could get a killer deal on this meat. (laughs) You could go in and buy it at a greatly reduced price. It was a lot cheaper than the kosher meat down at the market. 
uh, sold by the Jewish uh, merchants. And so the Gentiles are like, hey, we, we know these idols are false. We don't believe in these idols. Why pay retail when you can get it wholesale? Let's go and buy this meat. But this offended the Jewish believers because it was offered to idols. And so here's what Paul is saying. Look, even if this doesn't mean a lot to you, it means something to your Jewish brothers and sisters. So for their sake, don't eat it and stumble them spiritually. So take away truth for us. We should not put up a wall where God has opened a door. Uh, we should be a bridge, not a barrier, to people coming to Christ. We should be a stepping stone, not a stumbling block. It should never be difficult for someone to come to church, say for the first time. And clearly they may not be a believer. And that's, that's obvious for a number of reasons. But whatever it is, they come in. They should always feel welcomed into the church. You know, a couple may come in and they're living together and they come to church. Or someone may come in and they're gay. Or someone may come in under the, they're a drug addict or whatever it is. Or they dress in a way that makes some people uncomfortable. And you'll say, well, why are they in church? They're sitting next to me in church. I don't think this is a good thing. That would be like going to a hospital and saying, why are there so many sick people here? Because it's a hospital. And they're there to get better. And I'm glad they're in the hospital. And I'm glad non-believers come into our church because we want them to come. As I've said before, the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. Now having said that, I would also add this. They don't need to clean up their life and come to Christ. They need to come to Christ and He will clean their life up. All right? <laughs> Jesus said, He that would come to me, I would in no way cast them out. Jesus cleans His fish after He catches them. But having said that, now, once they've come, once they've heard the gospel, and if they've made a profession of faith, the person who is gay needs to repent and no longer live that way. The couple that are living together need to move out and consider if they should get married at all but not continue living in that way. The person who is addicted to drugs or alcohol should be and can be delivered by Jesus Christ. Okay, so the change has to happen. But I think sometimes we get the cart before the horse. Well, let's get them all cleaned up first and then they can come to church. No, let's get them to church. Let him hear the word of God. But it all starts here. Let him come into a relationship with Jesus. You know, before I was a Christian, I, I used drugs. I've told you that. That shouldn't come as a revelation to you. And I didn't know what was wrong. I just did what everyone I knew was doing at that time. And after I believed in Jesus, he spoke to my heart. It made it clear to me that was not the lifestyle I was to live anymore. But what drew me in was not somebody berating me and telling me how wrong I was and my lifestyle was. It was Jesus. I was drawn to Jesus Christ who loved me and accepted me and, and forgave me. And I thought, I want to follow him. Now my obedience comes as a result of that love, right? We love him because he first Loved us, the Bible says. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So let's not get this in reverse and miss what this Bible 
that we're holding is saying to us. We should not do anything that would keep people from hearing the gospel. So let's bring this to the present day. Let's say that I'm a meat eater and you're a vegetarian. And by the way, I am a meat eater. I'm happy to be a meat eater. My wife took me out to a vegetarian restaurant the other day and didn't tell me until after the meal was done I was in a vegetarian restaurant. Because she knew I wouldn't go with her if she told me ahead of time. So I had the meal. It was very good. She said, how did you like it? She says, great. She said, there was no meat in it. No, there was. No, it's a vegetarian restaurant. You know, I didn't really like it that much. <laughs> That's a true story. So, so let's say you and I go out to a meal. Uh, you're a, a vegetarian or a vegan. And there's differences. I, I had to actually look this up. Now, a vegan is on a different diet that excludes all meat and animal products, including meat, poultry, fish, seafood, dairy, and eggs. That's a pretty limited diet. Then there's a vegetarian. They can eat eggs and cheese, but not meat, poultry, and seafood. Then there's a pescatarian. You know what that is? A pescatarian is someone who eats fish but no other meat products. Then there's a Presbyterian pescatarian. And they can only eat fish in church. I don't know if you've not. I made that part up. The pescatarian part is true. So let's say that we're sitting down for a meal and I'm, I'm eating my you know, filet and, and you're having your broccoli. And, and you're offended. You're offended. You know, I wish you wouldn't eat that. That offends me. I can forego my steak so I don't offend you. Let's apply it a different way. Let's say we go to a restaurant and we order some pasta and you order a glass of wine. You say, I love wine with my Italian food. What if I say, but I was an alcoholic and if I have one sip of wine, I could fall off the wagon. It's hard for me to sit here while you're drinking. Well, that's your problem, man. No, we're a family. And out of consideration for that person, you would say, well, I'll forego that. I won't do that because I don't want to do something that would cause you to stumble. Romans 14, 19 says, aim for harmony in the church and try to build one another up. Good encouragement today from Pastor Greg Laurie. Aim for harmony in the church and try to build one another up. And there's more to come from this lesson here on A New Beginning. Pastor Greg has titled it, How to Resolve Conflict. Now, Pastor Greg, we talked about Christian living today, living in a way that minimizes conflict and follows the principles of Scripture. Mm -hmm. But maybe there's somebody listening who isn't sure that they are a Christian. Hmm. What would you say to them? I would say that God is just a prayer away. You know, it doesn't take years to become a Christian. It doesn't take months. Frankly, it doesn't even take hours. It can happen so quickly. It just starts with you saying to God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that you love me. I know that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin and pay for those sins and then to rise again from the dead. And I want him to come into my life. So here's my question to you. Have you done that yet? Because Jesus, who did die on that cross and rose again from the dead three days later, is alive and standing at the door of your life right now, and he's knocking. And he's saying, if you'll hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. 
Would you like your sin forgiven? Would you like to know that when you die, you will go to heaven? Do you want Christ to come into your life right now? If so, why don't you just stop whatever it is you're doing and pray this prayer to God? Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, but I know that you are the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. I'm sorry for my sin, and I turn from it now, and I choose to follow you from this moment forward. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, the Bible promises that God has heard your prayer and has answered that prayer. The Bible says that we will confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, God bless you. You've made the right decision, the decision to follow Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's right. And we want to help you get started living this new life. Let us send you Pastor Greg's New Believer's Bible. It's been read by millions of people. And they've enjoyed the scores of helps for new believers and the easy-to-understand translation. So get in touch for your free copy of the New Believer's Bible. Call us at 1-800-821-3300. We can take your call anytime. That's 1-800-821-3300. Or go online to harvest.org and click Know God. You know, Pastor Greg, whenever we study the subject of heaven— It's such an encouraging dose of hope. That's right. And you write about heaven in your brand new book, As It Is in Heaven. We're making it available right now. Mm -hmm. When someone close to us passes away, it can be so shocking. On a day-to-day basis, we forget that death awaits us all, should the Lord tarry. How can we remind ourselves that our days are numbered? And we need to make them count. Yes, that's right. The Scripture tells us, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. You know, in ancient days, they used to write a phrase over, say, a financial record. So you're checking out your bank balance, and they would write these words down, memento mori, which means think of death. Mm, How morbid. Think of death. Mm -hmm. But it's a good thing. It's like, hey, I have so much money in the bank. Yeah, dude, but think of death. In other words, you can't take it with you. Ha! But you can send it on ahead when you invest in the work of the kingdom, can't you? But here's my point. It's grounding to think of the afterlife. It's important to think about the next life. And it should affect us in the way that we live in this life. So, Lord, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Every day is a gift from God. The beat of your heart is a gift from God. The breath you're drawing in your lungs right now is a gift of God. We have no guarantee of a tomorrow. Therefore, we should live every day as though it were our last day, because one day it will be. I don't say that so you'll be afraid. I say that so you'll be practical and make your days count, and make your life count, and don't just throw it away, because one day you're going to enter into the next life, the afterlife, and and there'll be rewards given to you for your faithful service to the Lord. Think of this. When you share the gospel with someone and you come to Christ, you'll be joined in heaven by them one day. And so we want to do everything we can in this life to get ready for the afterlife. And it's going to be beyond your wildest dreams. So maybe I'm talking to somebody right now that's in a hospital room or 
the effects of old age are kicking in, or they've had a recent problem or catastrophe, and it, it just seems like this is the end, but there's a better life ahead of you. There's a better world coming in heaven. And that gives us hope and it gives us perspective to keep walking forward until that day we see Jesus face to face. So I've written about this in this book called As It Is in Heaven. So if you've had questions about heaven, and I think we all do, I think you ought to order a copy of this book, and I'll send it to you for your gift of any size, and whatever you send will be used to help us continue to bring the gospel to people and to teach the Word of God through this broadcast you're listening to now. Get your copy of As It Is in Heaven. Yeah, that's right, and we'll be glad to send it right out to you. It's our thank you gift for those who partner with us right now. So contact us with your donation, and be sure to ask for As It Is in Heaven. You can call us at 1-800-821-3300. We're here around the clock to take your call, 1-800-821-3300, or go online to harvest.org. Well, next time, more insight on harmony in the body of Christ, as Pastor Greg gives us some practical insight on conflict resolution. More from the top 10 most requested messages of the year. Join us here on A New Beginning with pastor and Bible teacher, Greg Laurie. Thanks for listening to A New Beginning with Greg Laurie, a podcast made possible by Harvest Partners, helping people everywhere know God. Sign up for daily devotions and learn how to become a Harvest Partner at harvest.org.